Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the All Sooners podcast. It's Wednesday. It's September 6th. We're kind of between games right now on a Wednesday, so we got to talk about last week. We got to talk about this week. This is episode 204. That is Ryan Chapman. He's over in Moore, Oklahoma. I'm in, I'm John Hoover, and I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're going to be joined later on from Oklahoma City by Randall. Randall Sweet's going to bring us some recruiting um, information, 411, whatever you want to say. Um, Ryan, how's it going? How's your week? We got some softball news to talk about too. Golly. I know it's going good. I do not appreciate Oklahoma landing the top overall commitment in the softball world. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, I also caution everyone, uh, softball rankings are weird. So it, we, we won't have the normal clarity that you do, but I, I didn't need softball in the middle of my football job. We're trying to lock into football season. We have a game, Oklahoma rolls, FPI is insane. And uh, we got softball news. So we'll, we'll do the football first. I could tell you were pretty excited about the softball news yesterday when it broke. <laughs> it, uh, it, it felt correct. I was like, I was like, ah, I, I've got like seven things I still have to do. I was like, Randall, Randall. Yeah. Randall's good to have around for sure. He's very versatile. So uh, we're talking about, uh, we're opening up with last week, season opener, 73-0, Arkansas State. Butch Jones needed a hug. He really needed a hug. And thank goodness for him, he got one. His player picked him up off the sideline from a kneeling position and patted him on on the on the chest, kind of on the ribs, and said, Coach, it's okay. It's okay. I thought that was uh, an interesting visual from that game. But uh, Oklahoma – Ryan, with authority from downtown, bang, they hit it. All those basketball analogies. Holy cow, what do you think? Am I oversimplifying? Did this team in the season opener, when we compare Brent Venable's first season last year, their season opener, and then you kind of transition into the Kent State game and what a disaster that first half was, did this team just look different? Am I Am I going too far or oversimplifying, or what do you think? Did it just look like they played harder, cared more, whatever? Yeah, I, I don't think you're oversimplifying at all. I, I do think the team had an edge in the non-conference last year. Remember, the it, it came from a spot of like, yeah, everyone's counting us out because Lincoln Riley left. We'd like to prove them wrong. They proved everybody right for on a one-year sample last year. Uh, this year, though, it, it didn't seem like it was this we have to prove everyone wrong chip on their shoulder. I think it was like a – we sucked last year. We'd like to not suck this year and all the things that need to happen. It, it looked different in terms of physicality. It looks different in terms of simply offensively. They took their time in front of the third downs and boom, suddenly you had uh, a really, really, really nice third down percentage. It looked different as far as they were able to go fast and slow. Think of that Javante Barnes drive where they basically just power out of the shotgun and it was Barnes, 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 Barnes over and over. They weren't in any rush to get to the line of scrimmage. I, I do think it looked different. Dylan Gabriel looked comfortable. The defense looked comfortable. It looked different. Now, Arkansas State stinks. Sorry, Butch. Uh, I don't know if that means that they're better. Like, I think they're for sure better. I don't know if that means that there are seven wins better. I don't know if that means that they're going to win eight games, nine games, whatever. Uh, that's where it comes into the, we saw this song and dance last year in the non-conference, but I, they clearly looked different uh, in game one this year than game one last year. Remember after that 21, nothing, it was 21, 10 in the second quarter against Utah. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that I agree. They looked different. They looked more connected, better chemistry. They looked like they cared more, uh, more awareness. Um, and, and you would think that would be part of the case in year two under the football coaching staff that they have now. Year two in the Venables defense, year two in the Levy offense. Everything, everybody's a little smoother. I asked um, Dylan Gabriel on Monday. I said, "Did you feel different? You know, from last year? Uh, did you? It looked like you were more confident. Believe it or not, a guy who's thrown for twelve thousand yards in his career and has has been a multi-year starter at do- different schools. He comes in. He comes out on Saturday against Arkansas State, and he looks better than ever now." I'm with you, Arkansas. It's Arkansas State, but Ryan, the last time somebody lost a season opener to Oklahoma by by a greater margin of points than 73 to nothing, 1917, University of Central Oklahoma Broncos. We think they were the Broncos at that point. I don't know. They may have been something else. Uh, that that what the what the point is and what the emphasis here is. There's been a lot of games, as Brent Venable said in his post game press conference. There's been a lot of games 
over the years that OU opened the season opener, right? That weren't 73 to nothing. They played a lot of bad, bad teams, and they've had some unbelievable national champion, all-time type great teams that didn't open 73 nothing. So maybe what we saw Saturday was a little bit of a hint of better things to come. Yeah, and I, I think that too, and I understand the fan base is not going to be content until OU Texas probably, and, and then that's when they'll make the final determination on the first part of the season. But the team can be better. It also could mean that they're not Big 12 championship good. They could be Big 12 championship good, and the Arkansas State game is not an in early indicator of that as well. It, Arkansas State is a bad football team. They dominated a bad football team in a way that we have, in a complete way, that we haven't seen in, in a little bit of time in Norman. And I think, like Brent Venables said it after the game, no one in that locker room is beating their chest about it. Andrew Rame said it yesterday. With all due respect to Arkansas State, everyone knows that that was Arkansas State, and they've got a much better football team coming in this weekend. That does not jive with Brent's nameless, faceless opponent, but I think it is just the reality of, you can say all the cliches, the players know. Arkansas State stinks. And uh, they'll get tested a lot this weekend. But is there anything that coming off? We had our post game pod, which if you haven't listened to that, allsters.com, everywhere you get podcasts fired up. But I know we both watched this game back on Sunday, a little bit different view. Was there anything else specifically that you came away from? Because I, I had a, a short list, but a couple of things that maybe didn't hit on immediately in the post game pod. Yeah, we can do that. Um, I wanted to get into some um, what the freshman class looked like. 19 true freshmen played, and most of them played really well. Um, made kind of a statement about where this recruiting, you know, the number four ranked recruiting class in the country and how they were able to step in in the first game of the season and and make, make a real impact, make a positive impact. Not all 19 of those guys are going to play every game. That's just the way it is. We know that. Uh, but I think you can pick – out of that group of 19 and say, okay, that guy, we know that guy, look out for him. He's coming. I think that this is the first time in a while that we can say that across the kind of across the board on a freshman class. Yeah. It, whether it was Peyton Bowen, whether it was Jackson Arnold, Jaquez Petaway, all those guys we talked about in the post game podcast. Uh, but for me, looking around, like Jacoby Johnson getting in there, yeah. all I was able to do on game day was say, that's Jacoby Johnson. Because if you know what we do, we have the live blog and everything going. That At times, it's less sitting up there and just going, just sit back and watch the game. And it's more of a, okay, we need to put this in the live blog, let everybody know, all this stuff. Going back and watching him, it was one of those guys that you didn't notice because he was – good enough in coverage that the ball's not really being thrown that way. I thought Caden Green, when he got into the game at left tackle, held up perfectly fine. You, you didn't see some of the the mental errors initially, to to my eye at least, um, that, that you sometimes see with some freshmen. And so I, I thought that was a really, really good sign as Oklahoma is going to want to beat uh, – like the defense has to be better so that they can pull away from teams so that they can get more experience for these guys as the season goes on because they're going to need a bunch of these guys next year in the SEC. Yeah, Petaway, the wide receiver, Jaquez Petaway, led all freshmen with 40 snaps, according to Pro Football Focus. Caden Green got 38, and he was in the game a little bit. Was he in the game in the second quarter? I think he came in uh, early third quarter, start the third quarter with uh, Jackson Arnold, who got 32 snaps. Cade McIntyre, summer enrollee Cade McIntyre came in, and he got 19 snaps. Uh, the running backs combined, Dalen Smothers and Caleb Hicks, got 21 snaps. And then on defense, you saw Peyton Bowen leading the way, as expected, with 24 defensive snaps. Jacoby got 14. And, like, I'm with you as well. That was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Josiah Wagner didn't play. He got a late, I guess, camp injury. Nothing serious, I, I'm told, but um, kept him out of the lineup. Uh, P.J. Adabare, uh, Sammy Omasigo, and linebacker uh, another, oh, Lewis, Lewis Carter. Carter. Yeah, they all got 11 snaps, and then you kind of fill in, you know, the the kind of the fourth quarter stuff after that. But um, those guys all got double-digit snaps. You know how huge that is for their development as players, and not just 2023, but you start to look at 2024, SEC's coming. It's huge, absolutely huge. Yeah, big time. And P.J. Adebore, if you were surprised at how late he got into the game, Brent Venables talked about that was a guy that was a, a little banged up in camp and not totally healthy the whole way, healthy now. 
And uh, I, I would expect as the season goes on, the plan for him simply has to be more and more and more. That doesn't mean he's going to be a starter. That means he's going to play 50% of the snaps, anything like that. But uh, as R. Mason Thomas steps back to the lineup, he's available this weekend. P.J. Adebore, those guys are the future at defensive end for Oklahoma, and they need to get those reps, and they will. Yeah, agreed. Um, so 19 freshmen got in on defense. Ted Roof was very proud of this. Overall, Brent Venable said they played 87 players. I think Roof said they played 44 total defensive players. He said they played a whole four deep on defense. Yeah, uh, PFF, exactly. There you go. PFF has them with 42, so those numbers pretty much jive. Um, 40 guys got in on offense, and then you throw in the special team. So when it's 73 nothing, here's the part that stands out maybe one of the one of the many parts that stands out is that when it's 73 to nothing okay let's call it 66 to nothing you've got your third team and your fourth team in the in, on the field you've got a bunch of freshmen who've never played college football before going up against an Arkansas state team that's like damn it can we get to the end zone please can we please get some points on the scoreboard they're trying their butts off to, to score they're doing what they can and Oklahoma held them out all those freshmen, all those backups, all those guys put their heads together and took some coaching from their upperclassmen and the starters and even the coaches and said, we're not letting you score. Then they got, you know, the late touchdown as well, 73 to make it 73. So I just think that's a, a, a referendum kind of on the quality of depth. Uh, I said it, competitive depth that uh, that Oklahoma has developed this, uh, this training camp. Yeah, and – this is not a shot at Lincoln Riley or that staff. Cause this goes back all the way to the later era of Bob Stoops post 2009, when maybe the recruiting wasn't as good. Um, how many times would you see an Oklahoma team totally in control? The second, third stringers come in and it's not a big panic moment, but 10 points get let in on the board in the last 20 yep. ish minutes, the last five minutes of the third quarter, fourth <laughs> quarter, no one's worried about it or anything. It didn't make those teams bad or anything like that, but yeah. It's different when the bulk of a top five recruiting class is a lot of defensive guys. It wasn't top heavy with just offense. It was offense and defense. And I thought you saw, too, a, a an absolute hunger, a seriousness from those guys. And I think that that speaks a little bit just to Brent Venables talking about this is how you're supposed to do a walkthrough. This is the intensity you're supposed to have. This is the edge you're supposed to play with when you're in practice and all that stuff. And again, against Arkansas State, I hope everyone understands that does not mean that because the four stringers had an edge, or he's going to the playoff, but it's a di it's different. It and it was noticeably different from even last year, which was a Brent Venables team. They they were mm -hmm. trying to preach it last year. Feels like that part of it at least has has seeped through. Now this week they'll have a much different test, and those a couple of wide receivers that were running free, those couple of drops, they will pay for that against SMU if that's there. So there's stuff to improve. That's right. Yeah, SMU coming up this week, five o'clock, ESPN Plus. Um, we'll get to SMU in the next segment. Ryan, what did you want to finish this segment with about last week's game? Yeah, I, I just thought two things, and, and this isn't an original thought. A lot of people have this as evidenced by the fact that we talked to Kip Lewis yesterday, but I thought he played really well. And that's a guy that I kept hearing was having a really good camp, but it was almost one of those things that because he's technically backing up Danny Stutzman, I, I don't think anyone was super worried about it. And then you hear that they've been working guys at different spots just in case. And you got to see the first linebacker substitution was not Connor near for Jaron Kanick or, or Kip for Stutzman. It was getting away for Stutzman and Kip Lewis to play together. So I think that's really interesting. And then we talked about the underthrows for Dylan Gabriel on three of the Andrew Anthony passes in the postgame show. The first one of those, the one that they connected on, it looks like Tommy Walker missed a blitz pickup. So I don't put that on Dylan Gabriel because if he didn't, if he stepped into it, he was going to get annihilated. And while you need to stay in there and step into it, you don't need to do that against Arkansas State. The other two were a bit underthrown. One of them looks like the one where Andrew Anthony got tackled. Looks like the ball slipped out of his hand almost. So hmm. not giving it a pass, but maybe need to do something there. But the flip side of it is Dylan Gabriel should have had one incompletion because the other two hit hit guys in the hands. So yeah. you take, you give, all in all, Dylan Gabriel was still incredible on Saturday. Yeah, and if he hits one or two of those pass interference penalties, I think there were three deep ones. Um, you know, you're talking about 350, 360, 380 yards uh, for your starting quarterback with, like you said, three incompletions and two two were right here. And I asked him about those, and he said, 
not everybody's perfect. He can't always be perfect. He's trying to take it on himself like a like a quarterback should, like a leader should. Um, he wanted to be wanted to put a better ball out there for those guys to catch. Um, you want to talk uh, injuries and in SMU in the second segment? Let's do it. Let's talk injuries, SMU, and you want to sprinkle in a little softball in that second segment. Blow right, second well, segment. They're coming up next on the All Sooners podcast. And we're back. You can give us a follow at all underscore Sooners on Twitter. Find me at John E. Hoover. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. We've also got Ross at Ross Lovelace. Randall, Randall Sweet 5. And Tim is at Tim Willert 2. Randall's going to have all the recruiting news for you, so check that out. Randall Sweet 5 on Twitter. The website, of course, is allsooners.com. Fan Nation affiliate, Sports Illustrated Network. You know the drill. And uh, All Sooners is always free. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. You don't get any discounts with us because zero is the discount. That's how much you pay when you sign up with All Sooners because you don't have to sign up. Just click and enjoy all of our content for free. Right, Ryan? And we do the content. We ha- we happen to do the content. Uh, just hit that football tab and scroll through and scroll through and scroll through. And guess what? You'll be to Sunday. You'll keep scrolling and it'll just have been Sunday. We we have we have so much stuff. Videos from all the player sessions, stories, the whole thing. We're off to a, uh, shall I say, a record start for the 2023 college football season, uh, just in terms of traffic and fan engagement, readership, and all that good stuff. So appreciate all you guys for, for uh, you know, making All Sooners what it is. Um, we've been doing this for three years now, and uh, we're hoping that this is going to be our best year. It looks like it. I assume if the team is good, we're going to have a good chance to uh, to follow that up strong. Uh, we'll find out more how good the team is on Saturday when they play SMU. I keep hearing about this. SMU's a different animal, SMU this, SMU that. I get it. They are. I'm I'm not saying they're not. But we're still talking about a, for now, right, group of five team. They play in Tulsa's conference. They got Tulsa next week. OU does, right? I mean, is there a big step up, Ryan? Arkansas State to SMU? Or is it just a kind of a step up? I think there's a big step up, and I think that has just as much to do with how bad Arkansas State is as it is with how good SMU is. Um, I think that SMU, they're not because, like, look, look at it yesterday, and or you look at it this week, and Preston Stone is is absolutely a different kind of of quarterback. He's the highest ranked commit in SMU history, at least in the modern internet recruiting era. Uh, but this was still a seven and five football team last year. It's not like this this SMU squad is busting at the door of a New Year's Six Bowl or anything like that. They're not what Tulane was last year. But when we're looking for defensive improvement, John, a couple of things. First off, their offensive line. They returned the third most games played in all of college football. This group. That's not starts. That's games played. But it's experience and. It's the third most in college football, and as Brent Venable said on Tuesday, you can't replace experience. There's not a lot that Oklahoma's going to be able to throw at them that schematically at least the offensive line hasn't seen, and it also means that SMU probably going to trust those guys to not be in max protect the entire game. So if you have unanswered questions about the pass rush because we didn't get to see a ton of it on Saturday, that's one area that we can learn something. Stone can throw the ball downfield. Right, gives me a little bit of Gabriel vibes from last year, boss, of watching him in the first half against La Tech last week. Couple of misses that feet weren't set, things like that. But otherwise, he's got a cannon, and if the players are wide open, he'll hit those guys more often than not. So remember TCU last year; it wasn't even competitive plays downfield; it was communication. There's a lot of new pieces on this OU secondary. If there's communication issues, SMU should be able to exploit it. Um, Jordan Hudson should be a good test for a bunch of new secondary members. We don't know what Gentry Williams is as a corner because he wasn't thrown at at all. We'll find that out. All those things, like SMU is good enough to tell us those things, but there's a reason this line opened at like 16 and a half, 18 at Circa. This should still be an Oklahoma win, but we should be able to learn more because they're they're playing, it's closer to a power five team than whatever the hell Arkansas State brought last week. Yeah. Um, now keep in mind, the Arkansas State coach used to coach at Tennessee. The Arkansas State quarterback used to play at Tennessee, right? So it, he was a high-level recruit as well, went went to, to Knoxville, so JT Shroud was. So 
I'm just saying, I, I think there's a step up. I don't know if it's huge. Um, and, and it's going to take us a couple of weeks to be able to evaluate what we saw last Saturday and lay it over kind of the course of the season and say, okay, Oklahoma really is that good or Arkansas state really is that bad. You know, if Arkansas state goes winless or something like that, then we'll know, right. Uh, if Oklahoma goes undefeated, then we'll know we'll have a, a pretty good handle on things, but yeah, Preston Stone, uh, by all accounts, a good quarterback. He had a good game last week, 248 yards and three touchdowns. Um, completion percentage was fine. Spread the ball around a lot. Uh, I said this on our wrap yesterday, Ryan. Uh, SMU has got a couple of guys that were at one time committed to Oklahoma. This is not some rum-dum group of five, lousy SMU team that you know we've seen in decades past, this is a solid SMU team that has been recruiting the DFW. Well, they've gotten a lot of action through the transfer portal. They've built up their roster and guess what? They've got an offensive minded head coach by the name of Rhett Lashley. Don't know if you guys know much about Rhett Lashley. Speaking of Arkansas state, he was their offensive coordinator hired at the tender young age of 29 years old. Rhett Lashley was at the end of that season in 2012, he was hired at the tender young age of 29 years old to coordinate the Auburn offense. So he was an SEC offensive coordinator at 29. Uh, and in 2013 at Auburn, he was a Broyles Award finalist. So talking about a guy who knows offense. Uh, he's got a history with Ted Roof. He's got some, you know, crossing paths type history with Jeff Levy. Um, they're good. Uh, Kamar Wheaton, the running back that uh, committed to Oklahoma, went to Alabama and now is at SMU. I don't even know if he played last week. I don't, I don't think he got any carries because um, the guys in front of him are that good. But he was coming to Oklahoma. He's that good. So there's guys in front of him that are even better. Just an illustration for how good this SMU offense is. Yeah, I'm still not 100% sure that Kamar Wheaton exists. Um, based <laughs> off his recruitment a... <laughs> and his lack of production in Alabama. You and think his he went to Bishop of... Sycamore? <laughs> yeah, he, he might have gone to Bishop Sycamore. Uh, give me the thing, though, as well. Uh, so if if it plays out this way, Hoove, on Saturday, if SMU has some explosive plays and scores and then other drives where Oklahoma's kind of shut down uh, defensively, I also want to caution everyone. That was kind of how SMU played against La Tech, and no one's pretending that La Tech's a good football team. So if SMU gets to 30-something, that's obviously panic button, panic button. If SMU scores 17 points off of three huge explosive plays, one of them stalls out for a field goal and then doesn't move the ball otherwise, that also might just kind of be what SMU is, and that doesn't necessarily mean that Oklahoma really shut down a ton. That They obviously scored a ton in the first half against La Tech, but it, it was a lot of – it was it – was, heavy on explosive plays as opposed to a bunch of sustained drives going boom, 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 boom down the field. So if, if I'm an Oklahoma fan, what I'm looking at to, to say improved, obviously under 17 points or under um, including garbage time, but also if I'm OU that big play moniker, you know, 20 yards or more, I'd want to not have many of those whatsoever. And there was some opportunity, like we mentioned earlier against Arkansas state that, by way of a drop or shroud, just not seeing somebody because uh, he was trying to get the ball out so quick that didn't happen. So it'll be interesting. I also, they're going to air it out. We saw Kanai Walker with the strip. If the secondary is that much improved, they need a pick in this game. Cause that's going to throw the ball enough to, to, to really show that, or at least a couple of break on the ball, pass breakups. Maybe there's not stone. Maybe stone's really efficient. Doesn't put it in danger, but Need to see some pass breakups, and, and there should be opportunity as opposed to just overthrows, underthrows, drops. What do you think of Brent talking about? Um, when we talking about SMU. He said we got to get, we, we have to get a better pass rush. Our pass rush, we got to get to the quarterback. That's got to be part of our game plan. And in reviewing Arkansas State, well, we're not going to get to the pass. We're not going to get to the passer on, in this situation because they're max protecting. I think only a, a handful of plays did they even try a true drop, drop back. They're getting the ball out one and a half seconds, he said. Those two things don't necessarily jive to me. Uh, and maybe, you know, he's like, on one hand, he's saying, hey, the pass rush was fine, which it was. It was create. He said he looks at, um, in terms of what, you know, evaluating a true pass rush when you don't have quarterback sacks and quarterback hurries to count, what do you look for? 
You look for hitting guys, knocking them back. You look for disruptive. You look for hitting, shooting the gap and being in the backfield. Um, just, you know, looking like you're back there because they're getting the ball out super quick. Now you spin it forward to SMU. Is SMU going to do some of the same thing? Is SMU going to max protect and try to get the ball? Because I got news for him. It didn't work. 73 to nothing doesn't work. Yeah. I, when If you pair what Britt Vittable said about the pass rush Saturday after the game and then on Tuesday, here's how I took those comments. Coming into the game, they figured that Arkansas State was going to try and either max protect or get the ball out quickly or both. And because it's game one and they didn't need to do anything, they were just going to be as generic as possible with three and four man pass rushes. And they weren't even worried about trying to get to the quarter. Like if they get sacks, great. If not, that wasn't even part of anything. They were like, you always want to get to the quarterback, duh. But they they were not like, hey, we need to put this blitz package in so we can generate a sack on a third. Like none of that was happening. I'm not saying that you're going to see the entire playbook this weekend, but I think Oklahoma knows yeah. SMU has enough faith in Stone that if they can give him enough time, they think that Stone will be able to make plays downfield, which means that he'll be holding onto the ball a little bit longer to get Jordan Hudson down the field, stuff like that. And I also think, too, that SMU will throw a lot more screens and stuff. So while that may not be pass rush, uh, it's trying to keep Oklahoma honest in that way as opposed to max protect, which means that we need to see more of Gentry Williams coming up and blowing up the one you know opportunity that he had. Should be some opportunities there. Um I think that's what you're looking for if if the from like the OU coaching staff perspective, based off kind of Venables' just nonchalant, yeah, I wasn't worried about it Saturday. Cause he 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 doubled as like it is better. I assure you, today was just not the day to judge that. Okay. That makes sense. Um uh, personal foul penalties. Three in the first quarter, quarter and a half, I think. I didn't have a problem with any of them. Um the the Reggie Pearson standing out of bounds and making sure the quarterback uh, did not cut up field, which he said yesterday, that's happened to me before. And the guy scored a touchdown. So I was just making sure that that wasn't going to happen again. I love that. He's like assessed, but I'm standing here. You ain't going past me. So knock the hell out of the quarterback there. Um, the Blake, uh, Blake Smith uh, blindside crackback block was a, I'm all about player safety and I'm all about eliminating blindside crackback blocks. That was not a blindside crackback block. That was not one of those blocks. It's like putting somebody's life at risk or, uh, you know, the, the, the young man's uh, ability to play football. He just kind of jumped in there and got in the way of a guy's like, come on, let him play football. And then the, uh, the third one was a face mask penalty that, you can't really plan those. You can't really do much about those. You're reaching up and, uh, oops, got you, got you by the face mask. I got three of those in one game playing in a high school game once, so sorry. Still sorry to those dudes. Um, your thoughts on uh, OU playing more fierce, better, harder, uh, faster, just in terms of uh, more aggressive? You like you liked what you saw there? Yeah, it wasn't a persistent issue, and it wasn't like – if it had been three roughing the passers or two blindside block, you know what I mean? I would yeah. have been maybe a little bit more, okay, that doesn't need to happen. But one of them happened on the first defensive drive of the game. That was the Pearson. If you want that defense to play with an edge, the very first game, someone's going to get a personal foul. It, <laughs> it just, It is, you know what I mean? Like if you want your defense to play on that line, somebody's got to get it. And Reggie Pearson was like, yeah, and I immediately blew up the next play to let the guys know. I set yeah. the tone, but also I got you. Same with Smith. That happened, Was that the second offensive drive? It was early because so. yeah. it was going into the south end zone. So, again, you want to play with that edge. Someone There was either going to be a personal foul on the O-line, probably Savion Bird, or something like that of guys downfield because it also means guys are blocking downfield, which I thought that was a big area of improvement on a one-game sample with the receivers and the tight ends downfield. So didn't have an issue with any of those. I, I also think, too, that Pearson had a little bit of he, – he talked to us about, like you said, someone scoring last year on him because it looked like they were going to fall out of bounds and turned up field. The other thing, too, is I think he knew in the back of his head, this isn't OU Texas. Quinn Ewers is not going to suddenly march that team down the field and extend a drive, and now it's seven key points in a fierce game. It was Arkansas State, and you set the tone. It, it is what it is. I, I didn't have an issue with any of the – well – the Tyler Guyton hold, that was not necessary. Other than that, didn't have a huge issue. 
I agree. I, I don't disagree with anything you said. And the Tyler Guyton hold was one of those borderline calls to me, like the ball was already gone and he just decided to, you know, wrap the guy, continue. He had, he had stuck his arm out and he just continued the motion. If he had just kind of either let go or fallen on him or whatever, but he just continued that hold motion. And it was, it, it went from shouldn't be called to has to be called. So I agree with you on that one as well. Um, he was funny and, uh, uh, post-practice interviews yesterday when we're talking to Andrew Rame, he came up and pretend, stood in the back. He's six foot eight, stood in the back and pretended like he was holding a camera in, in uh, Andrew Rame's face. And then he said, uh, what was the, Mr. Andrew Rame, what was the, uh, the deciding, what was the most important thing about, uh, you know, your game or whatever, whatever his question was, it was going to be an obvious answer. And Andrew Rame answered it perfectly. He said, my right tackle, just getting yes. to play next to my right tackle. <laughs> Two guys away, but, you know, still it's funny. Those guys have fun. And that goes back to my opening statement in the first segment about chemistry and about, um, you know, togetherness, and everybody being on the same page, not just with the coaching staff, but with each other. And I'm not just talking about offensive line. I'm talking about the entire team. They seem to be closer. They seem, but, you know, hey, you know, throw a couple of losses in there. We'll see how close they are, right? That's how football works. Yeah. The, uh, the vibe, because – I'm not doubting them on the chemistry front or anything like that, but last year in camp, we heard that it's the closest team that they've ever been. It's so different. All that stuff. The team went six and seven. You can be close and be bad. You can be distant and be good. <laughs> stuff Like that's all good. And I, I get it. It matters a lot to the people in that locker room of all the things we hear in camp. That's the one that I'm just like, okay, cool. Sweet. No, no one has ever, no one has ever come out and said in the moment, our chemistry is not really where we need it to be right now. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I don't maybe maybe like an NBA team has said that. Yeah, like but not not a, a college football coach and players and players don't come out and be like, "Yeah, I I hate my defense. They're the worst." <laughs> Those guys need to carry their water. Yeah. Um Okay, so we buried the lead. Oklahoma has a new softball commit. Okay, maybe we didn't bury the lead. High school player, Sophie Sophia Bordy, is that how you say your last name? Yeah. Yep, and uh, she is rated some spots as the top softball player in the country in that class. Uh, she is from New Jersey. She plays her travel ball with everybody you know by now. Oklahoma has a commit where they play in travel ball. Everybody with me, it's the Bat Busters. You know it, you know it. Orange uh, County? A couple of, yeah, yeah, the OC Bat Busters, Orange County Bat Busters. Uh, that's the same pipeline that has given Oklahoma like every good player ever. Uh, Patty Gasso has that locked down. It's why they played in the Mark Campbell Invitational, all the things. But 40, dominant, dominant pitcher. Some of the numbers she's put up are just insane. And I know it's high school softball and it's a different measure than than travel ball. But if you look at what she did, these are just her state championship performances. Ready? As a freshman. 20 strikeouts, it's a no-no. No hitter as a freshman, 20 Ks, lock it down uh, in New Jersey. As a sophomore, 16 strikeouts. So you may say, Ryan, she got worse, but it was a perfect game. So would you rather have the 16 strikeout perfect game as a sophomore, the 20 strikeout no hitter? She's a dominant pitcher, Patty Gasso, doing the thing once again. And she's off and running in that 2025 class. Uh, sorry, that I, I might never, ever nail down when they sign when they arrive the softball one doesn't make sense to my brain it does not follow the football uh, method well yeah you've got the committing and then you've got the signing and then you've got like two years later they're playing well, yeah, they're on campus almost a whole it feels like they're they're signed for almost a whole year before they're actually making an impact on campus but yeah uh a huge huge start for patty gasso and uh another one of those young arms which would be really interesting to monitor this year because you've got nicole may senior transfers and kelly maxwell and carly keeney uh maxwell from oklahoma state obviously keeney from liberty all three of those will be departing at the end of this season so if you're wondering why did like a, a peyton monticelli come in as a sophomore from wisconsin uh what is kirsten deal what's the path both those going to be sophomores this year well it'll be bloated for one year and then it'll be on the back of deal monticelli and, and, and any other uh portal edition so we, we know that patty gasso likes that big staff you've seen it we know that Jen Rocha can manage the big staff. Uh, the rich get richer. Greatest show under all the things. Yeah. Um, and guys, she's not done. She announced on Twitter today, this morning, uh, 
um, go boomer. Is that, what, is that what her tweet says with the yes. little bomb? Yes, with the bomb, bomb emojis. emojis. And uh, so that was so that was yesterday. And then she wakes up today and does it again. So she's got another one coming. Stay tuned. We'll have it for you at all sooners. Brian, did we did we hit all the football? I think so. Do you want to do a quick injury? Hitter? Injuries. That's what I wanted to do. Injuries. Yes, you did. You uh, got to that yesterday in the wrap up. I want to do that again. Yeah, yeah. Let's start with the three that we talked about in the post game. Um, Drake Stoops, Desan McCullough, Davis Bevel. Drake Stoops sounds like in the exact same spot. Brent Venables echoed what he said on Saturday. He was ready to go back in himself. Uh, monitoring that, it feels like if they need him, they'll use him. If they don't want to use him, it's because they just want to hold him out. Desan McCullough, Brentman will said that they were worried potentially about a high ankle L or a high element, a high sprain element. He was worried about a high ankle sprain. It sounds like it's not a high ankle sprain. So Desan McCullough will be watching that. He was in a boot on Monday. I don't remember seeing him on Tuesday. Um, I would like to see him play this week because I think SMU would test him in coverage. I don't know if we will see him play because I think Oklahoma wants to just have him healthy and not it be a lingering thing. And then it sounds like Davis Bevel, who Brent Venables in the postgame on Saturday said potentially an MCL. He said that the issue with Bevel is an ankle sprain. So um, make that make sense. But that's the update from the head coach. And an ankle sprain is much better than any of the CLs in your knee plus meniscus. Yeah. Uh, do we have any clarity or or anything on Kendall Dolby, junior uh, college cornerback? He came in, got five plays, got banged up. It looked like a shoulder or something like that they were working on, but never came back in and, and no one's talked about him yet. Yeah. No clarity on Dolby. Eddie Radosevich said uh, he told me on the morning show he saw that Cade McIntyre might have had some sort of something with his hand um, after taking a hit. No update there. Brentman was talked about Cade McIntyre really glowingly and didn't mention anything of like, we'll, we'll see if he can get back in a couple of weeks. So I, I don't know what that means for him. Um, and then the other two are Mason Thomas and Gavin Sachuk, who were dressed but didn't play on Saturday. Those guys were held out. Brentman said both will be available this weekend, again, R. Mason Thomas got rolled up on, had a sprained ankle, I believe, in camp. I think this is just a precautionary. If he can get as healthy as possible, doesn't have to linger with the ankle. And I think for Sawcheck, it was, I think it was a hamstring, but it's not major, major. And it's something that he's mentioned that he had some stuff he was dealing with in camp. Hold over from that as well. Also, uh, OU is going to get a $1 billion basketball arena. Or not when the voters turn it down. It's up to the voters, really. I mean, uh, I saw where uh, Ray Ray Young, Trey Young's dad, was out kind of stumping for it. Um, I think I saw that George George uh, Stoya was was uh, putting that out there. Sounds like a great deal. Apartments, retail, um, restaurants and bars, nightlife, and a little basketball. That's a big ask for. Um, Voters and they're talking about eighty percent of that money will be privately funded. Eighty percent of a billion? I don't know about that. We'll see. I'm I'm dubious, as you can tell. I'm skeptical. What do you, what's yeah. it? It uh eighty twenty split twenty would be the public for the arena and and the billion dollar price tags for the whole entertainment district. They want to zone that as an entertainment district. If you're in, if you're familiar with Norman, um, I think they call it. North Park, whatever. It's off 24th where the Super Target and all that stuff is. Uh, it used to be just Super Target Academy Coles. Now, if you drive through there, it's everything that has yes. moved over there. Um, 8,000 seat. Don't remember if we said that. That's the proposal. Basically, they want to make it like a bars, restaurants, a mini Texas Live, whatever you want to call it. For me, I refer to it as a mini battery in Atlanta, which has been wildly successful for the Braves. I'll just tell you this. I've lived in Norman a very long time. This is not a political statement. I'm just telling you, this is what life in Norman is. Doesn't matter if it's 80%, doesn't matter if it's 20%, doesn't matter if it's 5%. If you hear taxes to pay for X, it gets voted down. It, yeah. is, it, it, it was not close in 2017. They're going to get the PR machine going. I am not holding my breath that this will happen, that this will get passed. That's exactly why I'm skeptical. I uh, just I think it's going to be up, obviously up to the voters, and the voters are going to say, "Nah, not this time, not this time." Um, I'm thinking like what Arlington has done down between the two stadiums, um, what P 
Phoenix as to Glendale maybe is a better example of what they've done around their football stadium, just with all the uh, power and light district in Kansas City is another good example of just going somewhere and hanging out all day and doing some fun stuff and then going to a basketball game that night. Sounds like a great deal. I, I hope it passes. Um, it's a basketball arena off campus, takes the student element out of it. I'm not a fan of that. I'd, I'd prefer what they're doing this year, which is getting a game at McCaslin. I'd prefer they kind of look into expanding McCaslin for men's and women's basketball. That would be a raucous atmosphere or ruckus, as Bob Stoops used to say. Two things on the student angle. One, again, uh, as a Norman person, that super target over there, if you're ever through it while school's in session, every sorority is is represented with like yes. oversized T-shirts. Every fraternity dude's there. Yep. It's not an issue. Two, the students don't come anyway. I don't understand why anyone's worried about the students. The students don't get off the – it's a different kind of student this day. They all leave at halftime of the football games. They're not <laughs> loud and rowdy. The students don't show up unless it's Buddy Heald or Trey Young. So I don't know why – who gives a hoot? It's an 8,000-seat arena. If they're good, you'll get 8,000 people from Norman and Oklahoma City because you can actually make it to a 6 p.m. tip in that area as opposed to going all the way and being stuck in the Highway 9 log jam. Who yeah. cares about the students? If it's an issue and there's demand, oh, you can bus over there. When I was a freshman at Oklahoma for dorm move-in, this is not football. This is not basketball. This is dorm move-in. At 9 p.m., they struck a deal with Target to open up Target to just college kids. If there's anything that you needed, and they bust all of the dorms over there and back, if there was anything you needed, move-in week, and you just have a car or whatever, if that's the if that's what it's all hinging on, they can bust students back and forth. Nobody walks to the Lloyd Noble Center from campus anyway. They all drive over, especially in the cold. Screw worrying about the students. Build a stadium. I'll tell you who worries about the students is uh, Porter Moser. He goes out and really tries to nurture that and, and bring them in and actively recruit students to come to his games. Play a better brand of basketball, they'll come. And they came for Alabama, you beat them, and then you squandered it with literally everything else you did the rest of the year. That was, uh, yeah, that was a big waste. Ryan, good stuff, man. Appreciate you jumping on. Absolutely. We'll see you. All right. Coming up next on the All Sooners podcast, it's the Randall Sweet Show. We got a lot of recruiting to talk to. Got a big one coming this week. Commit, plus some others coming down the line. All that's next on the All Sooners podcast. All right, guys, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. And I will remind you every time right here because this is a perfect opportunity to do it. If you do like the podcast, go ahead and like us. Uh, give us a nice five-star rating. Like us on social media. Share us with your, your networks on social media. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, and leave us a comment. Love those comments. Some, Most of them. Some of them. Some of them are pretty stupid. And some of them, you don't know me. Don't pretend that you know me. You know who you are. Uh, so let's get to some recruiting. Randall has joined us for the final segment. Um, we're coming off a little bit of a, a high, I think, on the fan base with David Stone committing to Oklahoma. I don't think there was ever a presumption – I don't think anybody was operating under any ideas really firmly that Dominic McKinley last week was going to commit to Oklahoma. He was a guy that had OU in his top four, five, six, whatever that was. Nobody ever thought he was coming to Oklahoma. It was always LSU. It was always Texas. It was always someone other than Oklahoma, and that proved out. But may have some good mojo going again this week. Um, I think the general consensus is that Nigel Smith out of Melissa, Texas, is going to commit to the Oklahoma Sooners. We think, but we don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, after losing out on a you know commitment from McKinley last weekend to, or last week to A and M, uh, you know Nigel Smith's another guy who's got A and M in his final uh, five, I think. And I think you've said it on the podcast before. Anytime A and M is involved, especially late in the process, you you can't nothing's for certain. Um, but I would say that with Nigel Smith going to OU, it's it's um it looks very good uh he he loves the uh the coaching staff he loves the um kind of the initiatives that they've got going on um you know behind the scenes at OU like he, he told me he loves the sole mission that nowhere else in the country is doing anything like that um and he said just in general he really likes the way that uh OU prepares you for life after football and they care about their athletes um you know beyond the football field and you know that's that hasn't changed uh you know 
I, again, a 73-0 win in week one is certainly going to help, uh, you know, boost spirits and things like that. So uh, with Nigel Smith, unless something crazy goes on with A&M, you know, here at the last second, I would really expect that OU gets a commitment there. And that, that's a huge win for them. That's a great, great yeah. defensive defensive line uh, player that can help you go into the SEC that, um, you know, he's got big time offers from other programs. He's really highly coveted. Ohio State, Penn State are two schools that are, you know, hard on the trail for him. Texas, another one. You know, AM, who you're going to be playing in the STC potentially. These are these are, these are good programs that you want to beat out on the recruiting trail. And you know, to get to compete in the SEC, you're going to have to continuously win those battles. So, getting a guy like Nigel Smith, that's huge. If they can get a commitment from him on Friday, sure, um, Randall, and it, it's it's even huger if that's a word. It's even more huge, right? To uh, to come off the heels of David Stone. Right. You got David Stone on the inside. You put Rand, uh, you put uh, Nigel Smith on the outside. Think about that for a second. Nigel Smith, watch his film. He is extremely athletic, long, yeah. long arms, uh, big chest, you know, powerful, hits guys, knocks them back. What Brent Venable said just yesterday that he likes to see out of his D lineman, right? You put that with the skills that he's already developed as a young high school player. He knows how to use his hands. He plays with good pad level despite being 6'4", 6'5". He's a big dude who plays low. And he, like I said, uses his hand, provides some thump at the line of scrimmage, meaning he he hits guys and pushes them back. You love to see that. And then pair him with David Stone. Bro, what kind of combination are you getting there on the D-line? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a lethal combination. And that's what you need going into the SEC because, I mean, you know, we're we're loving that, that that combination, but guess what? Teams like Georgia, teams like Alabama, even maybe a Tennessee and LSU, they're going to have combinations like that themselves. These yeah. teams recruit at an elite level, just like OU is trying to do, and they're going to have those elite defensive linemen. So for OU to even be able to compete with those programs in the SEC, they're going to need to have the same thing, and they're going to need to have elite players in the trenches on both sides of the ball. But you know, specifically with Nigel Smith, you know, you kind of talked about his length, how big he is. His dad was a six foot ten, two hundred and eighty pound basketball player, actually at SMU, who the Sooners will face this weekend. So he comes from an athletic background. His dad is a huge man. Um, you know, I I, I don't want to speculate. I'm not a doctor, but you, Nigel could even grow more, maybe not in height, but he still could probably put on extra weight when he gets to college. You know, there's a lot of room there, and this is a guy who, like you said, extremely powerful when he punches with his hands. A lineman, you know, those tackles on the edge are. Um, when he when he gets his hands right in the middle of their chest, they're on their heels a lot of times. And uh, if you you know if you're trying to block him with a tight end or with a running back, that's not going to happen. He was going to toss that guy out of the way and destroy the ball carrier. Um, and like you said, with him, with David Stone, who's another guy. David Stone, you know, we've talked about. It. He can play inside. He can play outside. Imagine you could put another. You know, you could have both of those two guys on the edges and put it, some other guys in the middle, depending on the scheme, the formation, who you're playing, stuff like that. Uh, the possibilities of how versatile those two guys are, that really makes uh, really adds to, um, you know, being able to put both of them on the field and kind of move them around different gaps on the defensive line. Yeah. Now, Melissa is basically the the Bucky's stop uh, on Highway 75, but you're going to go over there. You're going to drive over. Uh, it's just across the border. Um, it's not a huge drive for you. So you're going to be there for his game. He's going to announce at uh, what before the game. Yeah, so I think I think the game kicks off around seven thirty. He said he's going to announce right before seven twenty, seven twenty-five yeah. around then. So I'll be there. Uh, we'll get some highlights of of him uh, after after he commits. We'll get some highlights of him during the game, and then you know we'll see what happens from there. But I uh, I expect OU fans to be pleased with the results. But again, you never know. These things are never finalized until until it actually happens, and especially with a team like A and M who uh, we know how they will operate in recruiting. They, they're dangerous until the last moment. Uh, Randall, let's make some predictions, um, if you don't mind. Uh, I'm going to grill you, you're going to predict, and then everybody's going to point their finger and laugh when it doesn't happen. Um, let's start on the offensive line. We'll kind of do this a little bit um, alphabetical, I guess. Young man from London, England, who was in town on Saturday at, taking his official visit. I think it was an official uh, to Oklahoma. He was there for uh, Arkansas State. Daniel Akinkunmi. Yeah. Uh, guard from, uh, from, from London, seriously, England. Yeah. So, so this is a kid who plays for the NFL Academy, which is a, a program trying to kind of spread the, the, the game globally. Uh, really cool initiative there. Um, 
he there's actually a really cool story that was written about him and his trip to Oklahoma this weekend uh, by an ESPN reporter. So definitely go check that out if uh, if you're interested in something like that. But this is a kid who can play all five positions on the line, center, guard, tackle. Uh, you know, in college will probably be an interior player, but you always love that ability to kind of be a swing guy, have the versatility to play wherever you need him to. Uh, and, you know, he's got some some really good offers on his offer sheet. You know, I don't know Clemson's there. I think LSU is also on his offer sheet. So so some good programs that, uh, that OU is definitely going to have to compete with. But um, by all accounts, he loved his trip to Norman this weekend. I mean, any anytime that you're you're able to get someone to – come to the middle middle america from london england i mean obviously there's some some major interest there and whenever whenever he comes to town it's his first first college football game that he's ever seen live and you put a 73 to 0 you know um beat down on the red wolves that's going to leave an impression and he was posting photos the entire weekend you know of him in the jersey him and his mom enjoying the trip uh even when he had to go had to fly out of oklahoma city he was Post and saying it's it's time to say goodbye, things like that. And it, it seems like uh, that it was an experience that he really enjoyed. The the staff seemed to make a uh, a big impression on him. And uh, I think that that eventually uh, he's going to end up a sooner. Um, I don't know necessarily if he's got a, a date yet set for, or I know he doesn't have a date set publicly for his commitment. Um, but I, I think that that could be something that we see come um, maybe before signing day. Um, potentially, I think that he would he'll announce, and I, I would assume uh, all signs indicate that he will likely be a sooner. Yeah, he probably left that game going seventy three to nothing. Is that normal <laughs> for American football? Is that is that normal, coach? Probably like no, it's not normal. This is this was a special deal. Okay, uh, safety athlete out of Kansas, uh, Michael Boganowski. What's your prediction on him? Yeah, so so Boganowski, uh, our man Parker Thune was up seeing him. Uh, last weekend or a few weekends ago i can't remember exactly when yeah. and i mean this kid is a crazy athlete he had i think parker was saying 10 tackles in the first quarter uh <laughs> i mean he, he he was scoring touchdowns getting his team you know willing them to overtime i mean this is a kid who's playing at a small school in kansas junction city kansas uh, they were actually playing against hayes kansas which is where jaron knack is from uh so he he uh he was at the brent uh brent venables camp this summer not camping but just there as a visitor kind of taking everything in uh, on a, on a visit to Norman over the summer, he um, six two around two hundred five pounds probably translates to a, um, a maybe even a cheetah position in college. Uh, you know we have yet to be seen because he like you said he's an athlete. He plays a little linebacker, some safety, maybe a box safety type role. Um, but again, I think that um, you know being so close to Norman, uh, you know just a few hours up up north there in uh, Junction City, and the relationship that the staff has has uh you know kind of cultivated with him they've really expressed early that they that he was a guy that was really important to them they really wanted to get him on board in the class despite him only being you know a three-star maybe low four-star recruit the the staff made that made sure that he knew he was a priority um kind of like with some of these guys like a james nesta that they got earlier in the cycle um but this boganowski is a different style of player uh much more athletic really not well I don't mean as a slight to James Nesta, much faster of a player, I guess I should say. Plays with a lot more speed, uh, you know, flies around the field, sideline to sideline, goes downhill and really uh, lays a hit. Um, and it, while he does play offense in high school, I think in college being, like like I said, cheetah, box safety, you know, linebacker type role, I think that he would be um, exactly what Sooner fans love in that that fly around the field and just lay the wood type of, type of player. All right, one of the uh, top offensive linemen in this class, interior offensive lineman, uh, I think, although, no, he also plays tackle, I believe. Grant Bricks from Iowa, um, huge get for Oklahoma if they can land him. Yeah, I think that I think that uh, the Sooners really like where they stand with him. Um, from everything that I've been told, he has a great relationship with, uh, with Bill Biedenboe, with Jerry Schmidt, with some of the other members of the staff, and you know, that, that's really, really important. You know, those are the guys that he's going to be basically living uh, in the film room, on the practice field, in the weight room with for the next three, four years if he does decide to go to Norman. So having a great relationship with those guys already is huge. Um, but like you said, this would be a huge get for Oklahoma because, you know, you go into Iowa, you grab an offensive lineman from, um, you know, uh, in-state, uh, the University of Iowa usually does a pretty good job, you know, producing these offensive linemen. We know that their weight program is really impressive as well. Uh, and so 
if the Sooners can go into Iowa and grab a guy from there, that'd be great, especially over other schools like Alabama. This is a guy who has some really good offers. Um, and I, I think that uh, I think that it's just a matter of time before he announces. And I think that OU is in a very, very good spot with Grant Briggs. Yeah, he, he's right not far from Nebraska, uh, but right. he's strongly leaning toward uh, – I've seen some crystal balls and stuff from Kansas State. Uh, but if if Oklahoma can pull him out of that, um, the, the, away from those two schools, uh, absolutely huge for Bill Biedenboe and those guys. Oklahoma doesn't sign a lot of highly touted offensive linemen. Bill Biedenboe gets a lot of three star type guys that and then develops them into first or first or second round draft picks, right? So that's just his history. Here's a guy that you and I I think have both seen this early preseason, Devon Jordan, cornerback out of Union. What do you think about his uh, his overall situation? Yeah, I mean, this is another guy that OU is going to have to battle with uh, some some SEC opponents like Alabama uh, to get a commitment from him. I think, uh, you know, the other schools in his top five, TCU, Oklahoma State, um, and Texas A&M, so another future SEC opponent. Um, and this is a guy who um, plays at Union. We know that this is a program that OU ha- is very familiar with. They love to recruit guys out of there. Uh, Union is usually a winning program, and, and we know that Brent Venables and his staff Love to get guys who come from winning programs. I mean, you can never say enough about guys who know how to win. Um, they know what it takes to be great. They know what it takes. They know that they have to put in that work, and that's expected of them. Um, this is a guy that he we you saw him cover. You know, one of the best receivers in the twenty twenty five class, Isaiah Mazee. So you know, he's got that experience going up against a lot of top players. And I, I think that um, I think the OU has done a really good job. Again, like I said, with um, Pokonowski, making sure that he knows he's a priority. When I went out to see him at Bixby's team camp, he told me that, uh, you know, oh, you flew out to see him in a private workout. They they flew all the way from Norman to Tulsa, flew out to see him in a private workout. And he said that that really meant a lot to him, that they took the time to do that. Um, they invited him to the spring game. And when he was at the spring game, they brought him down onto the field. They got to, you know, kind of show him what that was like. And he said that he was one of the only recruits who got to go out in the middle of the field, kind of got to experience that. And um, he he told me that these that these um, that the coaching stuff going out of their way to do stuff like that really meant a lot to him, and it showed him that they uh, they believe in him and that he's not just just a local kid who gets thrown an offer because he's got other good offers. That they really like Devon as yeah. a player and they want him in the class. You think he chooses OU? I I, I think sorry that was the original question yes i i think that uh, in the end it will be ou because that relationship they cultivated i mean getting to stay home um is a lot more appealing when you know that they believe in you there right um okay another tulsa kid someone who i've seen i really like his game daniel okoye danny phantom as he goes <laughs> by on twitter he's he posted a tweet um, a couple of days ago after coming back from his visit to oklahoma 73 nothing Arkansas State season opener. He comes back and says, well, now I might – wait, no, he says, now I have my own top three, so I might not even have to wait till October. What do you make of that, and does he choose OU? Well, well, first, how much Danny Phantom did, did your kids watch you? A uh, little bit, a little bit. Okay. I know who Danny Phantom is. Okay, I, that's what I, that's why <laughs> I was asking, because I was a big Danny Phantom fan as a kid. But, you know, back to Danny Okoye, he – um, I think that uh, that – Obviously, the tweet you read off indicates that OU is in a great spot. I mean, we saw something kind of similar with Caden Durham, where he um, he went to LSU, and then as soon as he comes back from LSU, he says, "All right, I'm ready to move my commitment date up." And uh, in that case, we saw what that indicated. And again, yep. obviously, those two situations are not one and one, but uh, you know, I think that it's pretty easy to read between the lines um, and and see you know what the, what that means. I think that. Um, Again, the staff is now that that they know that they can really focus on Danny Okoye, that they they want to get the these elite edge edge rushers. You know, we mentioned Nigel Smith. You know, Danny Okoye would be another one. Um, you know, to kind of bookend what they've already added in in David Stone and Jaden Jackson that are more interior guys. And if you can round out that group, those two edge groups with Danny Okoye with Nigel Smith, I mean, that's two high four star players that are elite elite talents. You, I mean, you've seen Okoye, you know. Uh, and I think that I think that that pitch to him has really resonated. And I think that um, with Enwinari being, you know, um, a Missouri commit, I think that maybe OU has been pushing a little harder at Okoye now. And I think that he um, maybe looks at it as he's got the path to be the star a lot quicker than he would be where he might be overshadowed if Enwinari was 
uh, coming to OU. If and if Enwinary and Nigel Smith will come to OU, that's two high pass rushers. Not that he doesn't think he can compete with them, but uh, snaps might be limited, practice reps might be limited, and it might be easier to go elsewhere if those two were to be in, in Norman, where you can you know have a clearer path. But now with it looking like Enwinary is going to be in Columbia, it's uh, a lot more reasonable for Okoye to come to Oklahoma and earn reps on the field a lot quicker. I'm sure a lot so of our listeners. Sorry, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners and our viewers have uh, have heard the same, or at least seen, read whispers uh, of the same type that uh, Winery might possibly still flip. Oh, you still recruiting him hard? Um, There's they're hoping for a flip, and we've talked about it ever since the shoes and the gloves here at Nor at uh, Union High School. So um, I don't think he's off the table yet. That would be a party at the quarterback. If you got Okoye and Nigel Smith to go with David Stone and were able to flip one area, that would be a party at the quarterback. Um, it would be a terrifyingly good defensive line. Eddie Pierre-Louis, a uh, offensive guard, what do you think his uh, chances of picking Oklahoma are? I think that right now OU still has some work to do with uh, with Eddie, and I think that um, I think that Michael Hawkins is probably going to play a lot into that. He um, – he actually visited Norman the same weekend as Winnery, um, back on I think June 9th that weekend. Uh, there's a few other guys there. Hawkins I know was there that weekend. Um, and Winnery, Eddie Pierre Lewis, um, a few other guys were there. But uh, Hawkins and Pierre Lewis seem to have a good relationship. If um, you know, if you're able to get Hawkins on the phone, you know, in his ear continually, maybe that does convince him to um, you know, to kind of change his mind and to come all the way from Florida out to. To Norman, Oklahoma. But right now, uh, all the signs seem like he he wants to stay closer to home uh, and be it at uh, UCF, uh, which is right there. I think he's from he's from either Tampa or Orlando. I can't remember exactly which one, but UCF is right there, local, really close to both of those cities. Um, and so, you know, with them joining the Big Twelve, with them being so close to home, I, they've done a really good job of recruiting local there at UCF. I know Stacy Gage, I think, is um, a running back in the twenty. 24 class, a four-star who they, they got over OU also. Um, and so I think that, uh, that right now with the push that UCF is making locally, it's going to be really hard for OU to overcome that. And I think there's a strong chance he does end up at UCF. But with that being said, OU is in his top five. And, you know, like I said, Bill Biedenboe is a great offensive line coach. That's been proven. Uh, Michael Hawkins uh, has a good relationship with Pierre Lewis. So with those two things combined, I think that OU is going to have a shot. And I think that they're not going to put down the phone until we talked about it before, until Penn hits paper. And last one, uh, Zena Umeazulu, uh, defensive end. Um, you think he's? Uh, I don't. This is a this is a prospect that I haven't seen highlights of yet. Haven't done a lot of studying on. Don't know a whole lot about. Tell me about him and what you think his chances of going to Oklahoma are. Yeah, this is a kid from Allen, Texas. He's a a senior defensive end. He's a, a little a little slim right now, which uh, may be um, a bit of a deterrent for the not a deterrent, but um, he might will need to add weight uh, if he wants to play earlier at Oklahoma. Uh, I think he's about two twenty or two thirty right now, which to play on the edge at Oklahoma, he, he'd need to add some weight, especially in the scheme that they like to run. Um, but obviously, very talented. He's a four star recruit. Um, and OU has offered him. They've been pursuing him. This is a guy they obviously want in the class. Um, and we kind of talked about it. it would be a party at the quarterback if you can get all all these you know talented defensive linemen. Well, Zena is just another guy to throw on that list. If you can if you can add him to a David Stone, if Nigel Smith ends up committing, then I mean these are that's two talented edge rushers with a David Stone and James Jackson, some elite defensive linemen to go around them. And you know we talked about it kind of. Um, in passing with Enwinary, but if you're on the defensive line with a bunch of other great defensive linemen, that offensive lineman can't, they can't, the offensive coordinator can't key on one specific player. And if you're Zeno Umizulu, that's got to be appealing, you know, knowing that David Stone's in the class, knowing that Nigel Smith might be in the class in just a few days. Um, but I still think that, uh, you know, Zena's commitment is tonight. Um, I still think that um, OU's got some work to do before uh, he makes his announcement, if they want to um, earn a commitment from him today. I think that uh, right now, Texas is in a really, is in a really good spot for him. Um, but again, you never know. These things can change really 
quickly um, at the last hour. We've seen, you know, David Stone said that he walked up and planned on picking Miami um, before he picked OU. So really, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I, I would assume, though, that that Zena is probably not in the cards for OU at the moment. Okay. He's committing tonight, you said? Yep, tonight. Okay, so either I'm going to have to really hustle to get this podcast posted or I'm going to do some fancy editing at the end of this podcast. Good stuff, Randall. Uh, any other thoughts on uh, you're going to Melissa this weekend? You're going to see Nigel Smith, talk to him, shoot video. Any other thoughts about uh, your uh, your weekend plans? That's before yeah. coming back home for the Oklahoma SMU game on Saturday night. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's going to be exciting. Are you going to have some uh, some good uh, prospects in to this uh, SMU game? I know that um, I know that at least um, oh man, at least uh, one really talented offensive lineman in the twenty twenty five class will be there. Uh, and I know that there's a few other recruits I can't think of off the top of my head, but I'm sure that uh, at some point this weekend, uh, AllSooners.com will have a list of the of some of the players who are confirmed to be there, uh, and and I think that. Um, I think it's going to be a fun matchup this weekend between OU and SMU. A little more, a uh, little more offense on the other side. Got to generate some pass rush. That's all you got to do. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. All right, thanks, Randall. Appreciate it, Hoop. And thank you guys for listening. As always, we'll be back next Saturday night from the post game press conference uh, from the press box, actually, with the uh, episode. What will that be? Two hundred five of the All Sooners podcast. Uh, post-game podcast. You can catch that one in all of our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the on the link on your player, your tablet, your phone, your computer. And of course, everything we do is posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. So check that out. Like and subscribe. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I am John Hoover. See you guys.